friends, good morning. Welcome to The Wall. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. And if you'd like to let us know, just text the word welcome to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital connect card. Just tell us about yourself. You'll get more information about The Well. If you don't get my weekly email, uh, I send out a weekly email every Friday. You can go to our website, wellchurch.org, and just scroll to the bottom of the page. You can't miss it. There's a place to sign up for my weekly email, and you can stay up with what's happening in The Well. And if you follow me on Facebook, have you gotten the idea that I really want you to take this survey about the return to in-person worship? I think I posted about it three or four times yesterday. We released a survey through my weekly email Friday morning. And we've already had, I think, 26 responses, which is great. We still want more responses. And so it's going to be open now for the rest of the week, actually, even next Sunday, it's still going to be open. And I'm going to give the results on May 16th in a sermon called Reset uh, uh, about the well, where we're talking about how the well, as we as a church, are kind of resetting uh, as the lockdown comes to an end. So the survey is, is a one-minute, five-question survey that is just asking you to give your honest feedback about when you would be ready to return to indoor, in-person weekly services at the well. It's anonymous. We just want honest feedback. We don't want you to answer the way that you think you should. Uh, we just want you know, your real answers uh, so we can collect good data and know how we should move forward here uh, this summer as hopefully the lockdown is kind of winding down. Maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, there are probably different opinions about that, but we're just asking for yours. And so uh, if you get my weekly email, please uh, fill out that survey and we really appreciate it. And, uh, today is the fourth week of this series, Reset, Life After the COVID Lockdown. And what we're doing in this series is we're asking ourselves, what have we learned about life during the COVID lockdown that would make our lives better if we remember it after the lockdown ends? Think about all the things we've been through over the past year, year over a year now. And what have you learned about life? What insights have you had about, about your, yourself and people and the, the importance of your relationships and priorities and the way you spend your time? And how has everything that's happened this year taught you about life? And, and how could it make your life better if you remember those things after the lockdown ends? And the lockdown has given all of us this opportunity to hit the reset button, hasn't it? It's just kind of a natural time to think about life and what really matters. And, and it's a chance to start over in some ways. And we may never go back to normal. Uh, for some of us, that's good news because you didn't feel like normal was working anyway. And, and now is a chance to hit the reset button. So uh, today uh, we're talking about uh, what are called the fruit of the spirit, particularly goodness and faithfulness, because in this series to help us uh, think about what we've learned during the COVID lockdown, we're using this structure called the fruit of the Spirit. In the New Testament letters of the Galatians chapter 5, it's a list of nine traits that the Apostle Paul says makes a spiritual person, somebody who really wants to be open to God's Spirit. If you're somebody who says you want to be spiritual but not religious, you know, and you want to be a spiritual person, and you look for what that means, you know, well, this would be Paul's answer. This list of nine words, the fruit of the Spirit. And we talked about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And today we're talking about goodness and faithfulness. So have you learned anything about goodness and faithfulness during the COVID lockdown? So first, the, the fruit of the Spirit, as I said, come from the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul 
We're talking about 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire here. He traveled to various cities and he started churches. And then he would go on to the next city and then and to start another church. And then he would write letters back to the churches he already started. And so you get these funky names like Galatians or Corinthians. And, and all that means is this is a letter to people who lived in Galatia, which is now modern Turkey. And they were a Celtic people group who had migrated to the center of what is now modern Turkey. And Paul started a church there. And so this is his letter back to the followers of Jesus in Galatia, probably written in the late 40s or 50s AD. And Paul talks to them about what it means to keep in step with the Spirit of God, what it means to not just follow you know, the, the times and go along with, with uh, everything that's happening in the world, but to think deeply about what it means to live a good life and to be open to God's Spirit, to be a spiritual person. And, and he talks about keeping in step with the Spirit, and this is what it looks like. The fruit of the Spirit are the results of the Spirit of God working in your life. And so they come from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Let's read. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Meaning, you know, you don't have to worry about following strict religious laws. If you want to be open to the Spirit and live a spiritual life, and these kinds of qualities are coming out of your life, you, you don't need a list of rules. You don't need to fit into somebody's predetermined categories about what that's going to look like to live a spiritual life, because this is the kind of stuff that God just does. And if this kind of stuff is coming out of your life, it's proof that, that the Spirit is working in your life. And, and so the way this probably was written down is Paul is dictating a letter to a professional writer. Um, yesterday, actually, I've discovered that my boy's bathtub is leaking. There's like a constant drip, 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 drip. I'm not a plumber. I, I'm just not inclined in that way. And so we're going to have to call a plumber. In the ancient world, if you wanted to write a letter, you called a writer. A, a writer was a professional trade in the ancient world. Paul was literate, but when you were writing a letter like this, you dictated it to a professional writer. And then there's this interesting thing in the, in the last chapter in Galatians 6 where Paul says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. So the idea was that Paul had dictated this letter, and now at the end he wants to put a personal touch in and write in his own handwriting to the, to the followers of Jesus in Galatia just to, to show that he loves them and he cares about them and he's interested in them personally. And the large letters, by the way, are what are behind um, the thought of many Christian scholars that Paul had an eyesight problem, that he wasn't able to see small letters. And so he wrote with really big letters when he wrote in his own hand. And so when Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit here, this is the point I'm, I'm making in all this. Uh, finally, we're getting to the point. When he's listing the fruit of the Spirit. He's probably not, he's not hunching over a letter and just agonizingly thinking, you know, for five minutes about every word that he writes. He's probably just dictating stream of consciousness here. He, he might be kind of pacing around the room while the professional writer is writing his thoughts. And Paul's like, yeah, and, and then here are the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So what happens is, it's, it's stream of consciousness, and these words are linked together. There's overlap 
in the fruit of the Spirit. So last week, Aaron Stritzel talked about patience and kindness. Well, today we're talking about goodness and faithfulness. Goodness and kindness are linked. You can see how Paul's thought just kind of flowed from one word to the next. Is when you say kindness, well, one of the, we're going to see here one of the definitions of goodness is kindness. And so kindness and goodness just kind of flow into each other. And when we talk about goodness and faithfulness, Jesus used the phrase in parables and stories that he uh, taught through. He used the phrase good and faithful servant to be somebody who is good and faithful. Good, goodness and faithfulness are linked in Paul's mind, certainly in, in Jesus's mind. And so these are, are traits that are linked together. It's like one flows into the next. And so let's just jump in here. And the first word we're talking about today is goodness. What have you learned about goodness during the COVID lockdown that could make your life better after the lockdown ends? Well, the New Testament was written in Greek. Paul is dictating this letter in Greek. And so the Greek word for goodness is agathosune. Agathosune. If, if somebody is named Agatha, that's the, the, the root word there is a Greek word for goodness. Agathosune. And here's what goodness means. Somebody who is generous or kind. Generous and kind. What have we learned about kindness and generosity over the past year and a half? Right? I mean, my goodness. We've seen so much in our society that is the opposite of that. From, from hoarding toilet paper and trying to find toilet paper and not being able to find it, to the hatred in our society, to the division, to racism, to name-calling. What have we learned about kindness and generosity over the past year that would make our lives better after the lockdown ends? You can see, again, goodness is linked with kindness. To be the kind of person who is generous, who cares about other people, who thinks about how other people are doing, who intentionally looks and pays attention to how other people are doing so that they can be generous and kind and helpful to that person. So if you would be willing to interact a little bit here, wherever you're watching in, in, the, in the comments, if you'd be willing to comment, I have a, a question for you. Who are people in your life, or maybe name one person, what is, what is the name of one person who modeled goodness in your life? If you could name one person who modeled goodness in your life, and then maybe you know, take a sentence or so to tell us how. What's the name of one person who modeled goodness for you, generosity and kindness, and you saw them and you thought, that's, that's a good person. That person is just good. What's that person's name? It's, I guess it's a way to honor them. If you just type their name in the comments, and you can, you can use their first name, and then just maybe write a sentence how they modeled goodness for you. How did they do that? What did it look like? that impressed you with their goodness and their kindness. And I'll go and I've talked about my grandmother so many times in sermons. Those of you who have been around for a while probably thinking, here he goes, talking about his grandma again. And, you know, but I talk about her so much because she modeled goodness for me. Even when I was a little kid, I, I lived with my mom and my grandparents until I was six years old. And so my grandparents were like second parents to me and and I have these memories just burned into my consciousness about how my grandmother modeled goodness. So, for example, and this is probably when I was maybe five years old. I remember my, my grandma coming home one day and she uh, 
walked into her pantry. She had a little area where she had shelves and where she stored all the food. And there was, there was a stash of brown paper bags from the grocery store. That was the days of the brown paper bag. And she grabbed a, a, a brown paper grocery bag and she just started pulling groceries off of the shelf and, and filling this bag with groceries from her pantry. And, and, and I said, Grandma, what are you doing? And she said, well, on my way home, I passed a bus that was parked on the side of the road and the bus had curtains in the windows. And this is before van life was cool. Like now you can watch YouTube videos about van life. And this is in southeastern Ohio where there's a lot of poverty. And that was not typical at that time. And, and she said, I saw that there were, there were people who were living in an old bus. And now get this, she knocked on their door. <laughs> she pulled over, which probably scared them to death, but she knocked on their door and she introduced them, herself to them and, and learned their names and asked how they were doing. And she talked to the, the wife and the family and said, well, we're just down on our luck. And, and they were little kids. It was this family who was essentially homeless except for, you know, having this bus. And, and so she talked to them for a few minutes and then she drove the rest of the way home and filled up a, a brown paper bag of groceries and took that brown paper bag back to that family. And I was a kid, we're talking about something that happened 40 years ago. And I remember thinking, wow, she, she stopped, she noticed them and then stopped and introduced herself to them and then, and then did something good to, and took something back to them. I didn't know the word intentionality at five years old. I'm a nerd, not quite that nerdy. But now I know that is somebody who is intentional about practicing goodness. That's somebody who was being good on purpose. She modeled goodness for me. How about you? Who is that person in your life? What's their name? Write a sentence. You know, how did that person model goodness for you? One more story. I remember a family member coming over to her house and I lived there and, and that person was bad mouthing one of my cousins who was a teenager and, and she had a drug problem. She had a hard life. And, in many ways. And um, that person was talking down about my cousin. And that went on for maybe 15 or 20 seconds. And my grandma cut that person off, but did it like this. My grandma said, but you know, she has such a good heart and she's so sweet. And then the person and the person started again while, well, you know, and then my grandma cut that person off again and, and said, well, but have you seen her paintings? She's such a talented artist. You've seen her paintings and her drawings and all the talent she has. Wow. She's such a, a, just a sweet, kind, talented person. So here's what really happened. My, the real message was my grandma pretty much said, stop bad-mouthing my granddaughter. So stop talking and stop bad-mouthing my family members. But she didn't say it like that. She pointed out the positive traits in my cousin who was being you know, verbally torn down and, and talked about the good things in her. And I remember thinking as a child, man, that's really nice of grandma. That was really nice of grandma to do. Again, we're talking about something that happened 40 years ago and still it's this model of goodness for me. How about you? Who has modeled goodness for you? Goodness to be generous, to be kind. What have you learned about goodness 
kindness, generosity over the past year. Think about essential workers and the way that so many people are viewed in our society and, and how important they are to keep the wheels turning in our society, right? And so there are so many things we've learned. And it seems like there are so many American Christians who are forgetting goodness. We live in a time of growing hate, of division, of, of name-calling, of even cruelty, of even this, this militant, violent behavior or endorsing violence, viewing other Americans as enemies. And, and Frank Schaefer, whom we've had here as a guest about a year ago, he interviewed Brian McLaren on his Facebook page this past week. And those are two guys that I just really admire and love them. And I've had them as guests and, and uh, actually have gotten to have dinner with both of those, with both of those guys. And I, I loved watching this talk on Facebook. If you wanted to watch it, you can go to Frank Schaefer's uh, Facebook page, Schaefer, uh, S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, Frank Schaefer, you can go to his Facebook page. And it was an hour long interview and, and it was really about Brian's newest book, Faith After Doubt which is about helping people who are just kind of in a place where they've deconstructed and they're like, what's next? It's a great book. But during the interview, Frank uh, said, you know, evangelical Christians in America used to write about Dietrich Bonhoeffer as a hero, if you know Bonhoeffer's story. But now seem to elevate people who are, who are standing for the opposite things that Bonhoeffer stood for. And, they, and who don't seem to display Christian behavior. It's like there are a lot of American Christians who they're, they're forgetting goodness, that even in the 70s, even in the political division of that time, the rhetoric wasn't as, as divisive and extreme as it is now. It seems to be less Christian even over time. And, and he said, Brian, what do you think about that? Why do you think that is? And I just want to read what Brian said in the interview. Brian said, oh, I think there are probably about 25 answers to why that's happened. But then Brian McLaren said, I think religious broadcasting became so influential in the modus operandi of Christian television and that is that it's donation supported. And the best way to get people to give you money is to scare them. So you have 50, 60 years of religious broadcasting always being built by evil forces are out to get you. Uh, uh, then the, the communists are out to get us, the secular humanists are out to get us, then the emergence, then the leftists, then Antifa. And when you build up enough fear, it really works. He said it raises money, but then you have a problem. They really are now afraid. You've pumped so much fear into the system, but now it turns into cruelty and hate and violence because they actually convinced people of their shtick. It's just a fundraising shtick, but it's worked. And now we're seeing its effects in our society. I thought there was a lot of wisdom there. There are a lot of American Christians from Christian TV and the way that it's been hijacked for political reasons and who have been sold fear so much. They have been given this, this message that other people in America are your enemy and they're out to get you. And, and, and there's been so much fear that now there are American Christians who have become, who have started to see other people as their enemies and started to hate them. And you're seeing hatred and cruelty and violence. And so this is something that was a fundraising scheme for televangelists. 
And now 50 or 60 years later, we're seeing where that has led. Contrast that fundraising scheme that has resulted in, in hatred and cruelty with my grandma taking groceries to a family living in a bus. And there are lots of, let's be fair, there are lots of American Christians who are still practicing acts of goodness, but that doesn't get the, the media attention. It's not sensational. It's not fear. It doesn't get hyped like the fear and the hatred. But the, time, the times that we live in do cause goodness and kindness and generosity to stand out in stark relief from so much hatred and division that we see especially because of the hate in our time. Your intentional practice of goodness is even more needed than ever. It could be something as simple as saying hello to the cashier at the, at the grocery store and ask them how they're doing to helping somebody who's struggling at work. You see somebody who's having a hard time and you just say, you know, here, can I help you with this? Or being open to people's questions or, or listening to somebody who needs to talk or... Um, giving something to somebody in need, like my grandma with the groceries, to, to be something much larger, some intentional act of goodness that is much larger, larger than that, and something speaks to your heart and you see it. But what would it look like to intentionally practice goodness where you're looking around? Maybe that's something that we've learned out of this year, the importance of just looking around and seeing wh who needs goodness. What situation here needs kindness and generosity? And how could I practice? How could I intentionally practice goodness in this situation? So goodness. And then the second word is faithfulness. Paul says another sign that you're keeping in step with the Spirit and you're living a spiritual life is that there is faithfulness in your life. And we think of being faithful as being faithful to your partner. And certainly it means that. Faithful to your friends, keeping your word. It absolutely means that, but it's also bigger than that. In, it's in your relationship with God and as a person that faithfulness is something that just comes out of your life when you're open to the Spirit of God. And, and so the Greek word for faithfulness is one of the, the funnier words in the New Testament, probably. It's the word pistis. And so like anybody with my maturity level just chuckles when they hear that word, but it's the Greek word pistis. And it means faith or faithfulness. In English, we would say it like this. It's to act in good faith, trust, or reliability. So here, here are just a couple of ways of thinking about faith or pistis. Um, this, word does, this English word doesn't actually come from pistis, even though it sounds like it. So in my, in my own mind, I just kind of associate this word. If you're mechanically inclined at all, and you think about a gasoline engine, not an electrical car, but a, a, a gas engine. You have the engine block and then you have holes that are bored in the engine block. They're called cylinders and you have a four cylinder, an eight cylinder. And then inside that cylinder, there's a mechanism that moves up and down. And that mechanism compresses the gasoline and the spark together and creates the combustion. What's that mechanism called that moves up and down in the cylinder in a combustion engine? It's called a piston. And so when I hear the, the Greek word pistis, and I, it makes me think of the piston in a car. Because what happens when you, you press the accelerator, those pistons just keep firing faithfully. If the engine's working correctly, they fire in time and they just keep going. You push the accelerator and they just keep going. Brrr, those pistons just keep firing. They're faithful. 
That's the way I think of it. It helps me at least. They are reliable. If the engine's working correctly, the pistons are reliable and they keep the engine moving. Another way of thinking about it, if, if, if you think about a bank or insurance, when you pay, when you put money in the bank or you make an investment in a trust fund or, you know, a, a trust or when you buy an insurance policy, they, they are selling you a promise and you are placing a lot of trust in them. When you hand your money over to a bank or an insurance company, you're trusting them with your money. You are, and you trust them to act in good faith. That They're going to be reliable to you to take good care of your money. And so faithfulness, faithfulness to be, to trust, yes, to trust God, but also to be reliable. A lot of us are at a place in our spiritual journey where we are jaded against religion. For some of us, we're not even sure what to call ourselves. Do we call ourselves Christians because of what that means so often in society and the negative connotations? And, and so this is not... It's, this is not a question you're used to hearing in a sermon in a context like the well. But I want to kind of redefine this word faithfulness and this question that I'm about to ask you. And, and it's this. Faithfulness means to trust Jesus and, and also to be reliable. So here's the question. Are you faithful to Jesus? As somebody who wants to be a follower of Jesus, are you faithful to Jesus? Now, some of you hear that question and it just kind of takes you back to the days of church you don't like. Like that, the context of a question like that was guilt producing and high octane preaching that's finger pointing. But I want to redefine it here. Are you faithful to the real Jesus? Now, you know what I mean. We live in a time in where there in which there is this made-up version of Jesus, this fake, weird, distorted picture of Jesus that is used for political purposes. So you'll have people who, who do a lot of God talk and they talk about Jesus a lot, but then the things they talk about are opposite of what Jesus actually taught. And so you end up with this weird picture of Jesus that they've made up that supports things that are the opposite of what Jesus did and said. And so I'm talking about, are you faithful to the real Jesus? The Jesus who healed the sick. The Jesus who said in Luke chapter 4, I've come to preach good news to the poor. And set the oppressed free to give sight to the blind. The Jesus who touched the lepers. Who were untouchable people in their society. Who lived in shame and who were ostracized. Are you faithful to the real Jesus? Are you faithful to the Jesus who talked about loving your enemies, as hard as that is, and praying for people who persecute you? Are you faithful to the Jesus who taught us to love our neighbors and to, who spoke against the greed and injustice of his day and turned over the tables and was crucified for it, was killed because he spoke out for the things he believed in? Are you faithful to the real Jesus, the Jesus who elevated the role of women, in a time when that was not common? Are you, are you faithful to the real Jesus? As somebody, and I know it's hard to even know what to call yourself, but I'm sure you're watching because you have some interest in a, in a Jesus-centered spirituality. And, and you think about how it might look in your life to follow Jesus. Are you faithful, not to the fake, weird, distorted Jesus of American 
politicized religion, but are you faithful to the real Jesus? And so here's how this works. You trust Jesus, that all those things that Jesus said and did, that's a good way to live. It's a way to practice goodness. That you think, you know, yeah, I think that's true. And you trust that. And then as you grow in that, as you intentionally practice goodness, and you allow the Spirit of God to work through your life and and produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your life, then you become more reliable to God. It's like Jesus can rely on you. You trust Jesus. You're faithful to Jesus. By trusting Jesus, by putting your faith in Jesus, but then you become more reliable to Jesus. You're faithful to him. Jesus can rely on you to work through you and be the kind of person who wants to keep in step with the Spirit and allow the fruit of the Spirit to come out of your life. For me, that's a helpful way of thinking about Jesus. It's not, it's not rooted in the guilt-producing authoritarian, let's be honest, uh, preaching and and way of viewing Christianity in my past. But am I faithful to the real Jesus? That's a question I've been asking myself recently. And so uh, Diana Butler Bass is is a Christian historian and a scholar and speaker. And she just wrote a book called Freeing Jesus. Freeing Jesus. I love the title. And the subtitle is Rediscovering Jesus as a friend, teacher, savior, Lord, way, and presence. And the book is is about how so many of us have seen the way Jesus is being used in America and are are repulsed by that and are asking, can I still be a Christian? Or, you know, what do I even call myself? Or it's about people who are wrestling with disappointment and delusionment from church and church leadership. And maybe they've even left church, but they don't want to leave Jesus behind. And the title Freeing Jesus is about, you know, freeing Jesus from like this hostage situation where so many people have hijacked you know, the, the way of Jesus and perverted it into something that the opposite of what he actually stands for. And so I just love the description on the cover. Um, freeing Jesus is an invitation to leave the religious wars behind and rediscover Jesus in all his many manifestations to experience Jesus beyond the narrow confines we have built around him. It renews our hope in faith and worship at a time when we need it most. So what does it mean to be faithful to the real Jesus? Well, it looks like practicing goodness. As Jesus said, to be good and faithful. It it looks like allowing yourself to, to trust Jesus, that his way is a good way and allowing yourself to grow by intentionally practicing these things, love, joy, peace, and goodness, and allow Jesus to rely on you more and more as somebody who, who allows him to live through you. I think that's what it means to be faithful to the real Jesus. So do you intentionally practice goodness? Do you want to be faithful reliable? Do you look for an opportunity uh, to be the kind of person that Jesus can rely on and practice goodness through you, especially in the time that we live in?
a time of, of hate and division. We need people, more people, who are committed to intentionally practicing goodness, generosity, kindness, and who would be faithful, good and faithful people. What if starting later today, you know, maybe this is a challenge for you and for me, starting later today, we, we're going to look for one opportunity to practice goodness. Today, I'm going to look around. How could I practice goodness today in some small way or maybe in a big way? What would it look like? And just start there. And maybe for us, when it comes to goodness and faithfulness, that's what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. And that's what it means to be faithful to the real Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this uh, incredible list of words. But for those of us who do want to live a spiritual life, who want to cultivate spirituality in a Jesus-centered spirituality, we, you know, we wonder what it looks like sometimes to be a good person in this world. And we know what, what we don't want to be, but sometimes it's hard to, to kind of see the positive and be defined not by what we're against, but by what, by what we're for and know how to live, to know what to do. What does it look like to live a spiritual life? I don't even know what to call myself. So, you know, what, what does it look like, you know, if I want to live a spiritual life or a Jesus-centered spiritual life, what does that look like? And so we read words like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we think, oh yeah, that's, that's what it looks like. That's what we need. That's what is called for in our time. That's a way of living that stands out in stark relief against so many troubling things we see in our world. And for those of us who have had difficult religious experience, we're jaded and, and we know what we don't want to be. We, there are trigger words even. And, and we think about being faithful to Jesus and that might remind us of you know, a, a time when you know, there was a, a, a finger wagging in our face from a, you know, a, a preacher, an authoritarian pastoral figure who kind of guilted us into doing something. But actually, maybe it's actually a very positive challenge in our times. What does it mean to be faithful to the real Jesus? Not the fake made up Jesus that's been hijacked and taken hostage, but what does it mean to be faithful to the real Jesus? And we can see here, well, one of the things it means is to practice goodness. Something that's been forgotten by a lot of people who talk about God a lot. But I can intentionally practice goodness and keep in step with the Spirit and see love, joy, peace, and all these traits come out in my life. And that's what it looks like to be faithful to the real Jesus. So God, thank you for a freeing message. A message that just feels like sunshine on our faces. That there's hope for us who, who want to live a spiritual life and we want to follow Jesus Christ. There is a way that is good and right and beautiful and true. And it looks like keeping in step with the Spirit and practicing goodness. We thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.